Well, church, the year 2000 was an ominous year in the field of cinema. Some of my favorite movies were released in the year 2000. Uh, One of those would be Remember the Titans with Denzel Washington, my favorite actor. Another would be The Patriot, starring Mel Gibson, loosely based upon the life of Francis Marion, the Swamp Fox. But my favorite movie of 2000 is one of my five favorite movies of all time. It's entitled Gladiator with Russell Clark. And Gladiator, the background real quickly, is about a, a poet king who really was a poet king, leader, emperor of Rome named Marcus Aurelius. He's dying. He knows he's dying. And he has a son named um, Comulus, something like that, Commodus. And he says the Commodus is a ne'er-do-well. He is a, a train wreck of a person. He's the polar opposite of his dad, and he doesn't want Commodus to be the emperor of Rome. And so he calls in a highly decorated, self-effacing, gracious general. And he says, I want you to be the next emperor of Rome. The son hears about it. He kills his father, and he arrests the general. He says, unless you swear total loyalty to me, then I will um, put you to death. And he says, I will never swear loyalty to you. You're a, a sycophant. You're a barbarous man unlike your father. And so he has, he says, I want you to go murder him. They take him out. He escapes, but he sends an order to go to the man's estate outside of Rome and kill his wife and child. So when he gets to Rome, he goes to the estate and his wife and his child have been killed and they've been crucified. He is captured, goes into slavery, eventually becomes a gladiator and works his way up the gladiatorial chain of command until he fights the gladiatorial game. He wins, he spares the life of the person he's supposed to kill. The emperor comes down and he says, I will know who you are because he wears a mask to protect his identity. I must know who you are. And at the very key moment of the movie, he jerks off his mask and this is what he says. And I wrote it down word for word because it is so good. He says, my name is Maximus Ducimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my revenge in this life or the next. Boom. Powerful. Now I want to talk about the first part of that statement, not the vengeance part. The thing that impressed me when I read that and I think about how he conducted his life is he never forgot who he was. The gladiator never forgot who he was. And as I read the Bible, I believe one of the keys to really living well is to remember who we are in Christ. For example, in John chapter 7, one of the highlights of the scripture, it says on the last day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink and out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. By this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. In other words, Jesus says, once I die on the cross for your sins, I rose victorious, rise victorious over death. I go to heaven. I pour out the Holy Spirit. If you're thirsty, you come to me and out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. It's an incredible statement. And then my question is, how do those rivers of living water continue to flow? And here's my answer in part. By remembering who God is and remembering who we are in the blessed embrace of the Trinity. Remembering 
who we're called to be. In 1 Timothy, Paul's writing a very strong letter to his young son in the faith. And he says in chapter 6 and verse 12, he says, Timothy, he says, you, 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 you flee from certain things and you pursue certain things. Verse 12, you fight the good fight of the faith. You take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession, but you, you fight the good fight of the faith. And the question is, how do you fight the good fight of the faith? And the answering part, I think, is in chapter 4, where he says to Timothy, he says, until I come, you devote yourself. You devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. You, you read the Scripture. You, you, you could devote yourself to exhortation, which is the thinking through and the preaching through the, of the Bible, to, to teaching or cognitive understanding. You don't neglect your gift, verse 14, verse 15. You practice these things and you, you immerse yourself in them so much that people will see your progress. So you, you devote yourself to reading, to, to the preaching, to the teaching. You immerse yourself in these things. And as you do that, and as you remember, and as you think well, as you do that, then, then you fight the good fight of the faith. So I ask you this morning, what is your identity? Who are you? This week, the Wall Street Journal had an incredible editorial about the, what's going on in Hong Kong and how their rights and liberties are being taken day after day. And the editorial had this, had this headline. It says, the Christian heart of the Hong Kong activism. The Christian heart. Subline. There are only 12% of the population. That may be too high or too low. I don't know. There are only 12% of the population, but their values incline them to sacrifice. Their values compel them or incline them to sacrifice. Because some of these people understand their identity, it compels them to live out the gospel. It's an amazing statement. Secular newspaper. The heart of the Hong Kong resistance is in the Christian faith and they, because it inclines them to sacrifice, to stand up for what is right and what is wrong. So, who are you? The next few weeks I'm going to talk about, I mean, we're talking about helping broken people to treasure Jesus. And then it's, that's just a little phrase we want to talk about among ourselves. Are we helping broken people, sinful people like us, like those outside of the church, the faith? Are we helping them to worship Jesus, to treasure Jesus, to honor Jesus, to adore Jesus? Are, are we doing that? And then as we understand that, we talked about, when we went through this process, we talked about the four sides of a picture frame. What are, what are four things? We can draw out on a napkin as we had lunch with somebody. These are four areas that we want to really major on as a church. And the, the, the top one is the authority of the Bible, the authority of Scripture. We believe in the sufficiency and the authority of the Bible. We want to be people who, who know and love the Scripture and walk in that way. And, and, and then the, the next frame would be we believe in the family. God established the family. We will be about the family. And the family includes the community of faith. And we have rich relationships. We want to also, next, the bottom of the picture frame, we want to serve others in the name of Jesus in our church, in our community, in our world. And one of the chief ways we serve as we care for them and as we minister, we communicate the gospel of grace. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. 
And then the other side of the picture frame would be we want to make disciples of all ages, men and women who grow in the knowledge of God and apply the scripture and, and, and mature in their faith. We want to make disciples. That's what we want to be about. And then, but, but before we get there in the next few weeks, I want to talk about the bridge. The, the bridge is my identity, your identity in Christ. As we were going through this, I remember we were discussing this, and Matt Reagan, our campus outreach director, said, you know, we've got to constantly say to each other, this is who we are before we do anything. This is who we are. We are the people of God. We've been saved by the work of the cross. So we come to this little book called Jude. I've been there for the next few weeks. It's just one chapter. This is the next to last book in the New Testament. And it's written as really a companion epistle to 2 Peter. But Jude wants to write about the glories of, of our salvation and the goodness of God and the fullness of what he's doing in us. He says in chapter 1, there's only one chapter, verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He said, I, I want to write about our common salvation and the goodness of it, but now this issue has come up, and I want to remind you to, to stand strong and to be people who are resolute in your faith. So that's kind of the theme of the book, dealing with, dealing with people that have crept in through the side door and they're leading people astray. But before he gets there, he builds this bridge, and the bridge is, who are you in Jesus? What is your identity? Who are you? Before you do this, Remind yourself of who you are. That's verses 1 and 2. Listen. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So three things. He says, your servants... You're called, and mercy, peace, and love are multiplied in your life as you run to Christ. So first of all, he says this, James, excuse me, Jude, a, a, a servant of Jesus Christ. We believe that when he says a brother of James, that Jude and James were half-brothers of Jesus. After Mary gave birth to Jesus, born of a virgin, she and Joseph had some children, and among them would have been James one of the early leaders of the church, and Jude. But what's interesting here is, is Jude does not say Jude, a half-brother of Jesus. He says Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, a brother of James. Now, I think, just my personal opinion, part of it may have been a little bit of an embarrassment because as you read the Bible, the younger brothers of Jesus uh, really didn't get who he was. And I think Jude is sitting here on this side of the cross, this side of the empty tomb, th this side of the ascension, this side of the, <laughs> the poured out Holy Spirit. And he says, you know, I'm, I, I live with Jesus for maybe 10 or 15 years. I live with the Messiah in the flesh in my home and I didn't get it. So now I get it. But he says, I want you to know that I am the, the, I am the, the brother of James. But instead of saying the half-brother of Jesus, he says, servant of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. I think what he's saying there in part is, it is enough to merely say servant of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, 
This is what the Lord says. Verse 24, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough that the, for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, or prince of demons, how much more will they malign those of his household? But, but Jesus says, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. And we say here, it is enough. Servant, who are you? You're a servant of Jesus Christ. If you trust in Christ by faith, you're a servant of Jesus Christ. In the past years here in Charleston, there would be weekends when I would be out and I would see a group of older men and they'd be wearing the field cap, blue field cap, uh, and they'd be having a reunion regarding their naval destroyer or vessel or whatever from World War II. And they would have the years and they would have the name of their the vessel and they'd be together, be eating and talking and laughing. And I, I, I miss that. It's, it's not happening now because they're just too old to travel. The, 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 uh, the, the youngest World War II vet, the, the, the youngest will be 95, 96 right now. So they're, the greatest generation is dying. If you see one, say thank you, okay? If you see something like that. Anyway, I would see them, they'd be out, and as I'd, I'd, I'd kind of observe them without them seeing me, observe them, and I would kind of watch them, and they were so just this, this familiarity and this joy. And they would, um, as I watched them, they'd go to the, their cars, the way they dressed. It's obvious that some of them did very, very well financially, and some of them just did okay. But it was enough. It was enough that they had fought in a great cause and fought shoulder to shoulder as brothers in combat. It was enough. And I, and I look at us and I say, no, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. It, 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 it's enough. It's enough. Who are you? You're a servant of Jesus. You're a servant of Jesus. That's what Judah's saying. Yeah, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I like gravestones. I like to go in graveyards and look at grave markers. And let me go show you a couple. The first is from Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley died at age 42. This is his grave marker. and um, It talks about him being the king of rock and roll and how gifted he was and what a good friend he was. And he was an incredibly gifted. So it's, it's a long list of, of what he accomplished. The next grave marker is something. I would not have this grave marker, but this person did. It's kind of, uh, it says on, it says, uh, Laugh, don't weep, it feels better, and it has the three stooges on top of the, the grave marker. Now, again, I, I wouldn't do that, but uh, that's what they did. My favorite grave marker of all time, I've seen twice now, and it's outside of Calcutta, India. And it's the grave marker for William Carey. William Carey is the father of modern-day missions. He lived and served in India, a very difficult, hot part of India called Calcutta. From 1794 to 1831, 41 years, never came home, never came back to England. Buried two wives, a grandson and a grand, a grandson and a son. And shortly before he died, someone was there commissioned to write a biography of William Carey, who translated the Bible into seven languages, who started various schools and a university, who was enormously used of God to speak against the social ills of, of widow burning and Infants just being left to die in the streets. Incredible man. And, and in the interview process, William Carey looked at the young man and he said, young man, we're talking about William Carey, William Carey, William Carey. Let's talk about William Carey's Savior. 
And this, I want to show you, I want you to see this grave marker. It's, it's in Calcutta, and it says this. Uh, gives the dates of his life. And then it, it, there's a little line from a, a hymn by Isaac Watts. It says, a wretched, poor, and helpless worm on thy kind arms I fall. William Carey. You could put, translate the Bible in seven languages. Father of modern day missions. The toast of the evangelical church. A, kind, a, a helpless worm on thy kind arms I fall. Basically saying, it's enough. What's your identity? I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, the king of all glory. The one who has no beginning and who has no end. Secondly, he says, to those who are called. He says, to, to those who are called, Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, listen, we're going to enter into the sacred realm of God's eternal love that I can't begin to fully explain, but I think the Bible teaches with, with, with very clear statements. See, so when he says to those who are called, effectual calling, we call it effectual calling or effective calling is the work of God in your life, where through the human proclamation of the gospel, Almighty God summons you and gives you the ability to come to faith in him. It's a glorious work of God. I can't fully explain it, but God works through the proclamation, the preaching, the written communication, the, the radio broadcast. He works through the proclaiming of the gospel of grace in such a way that people are empowered to come to him. He brings them in. It's called effectual calling. It's part of the glorious mystery of God's electing love. Now, there is a general call that goes out to all people. Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. But those who God effectively calls will come. Sometimes I'll be in the yard working, and my wife will call me. And I don't hear her, so I don't respond. I promise I don't hear her. So, so she calls me. I don't respond. Some of us have, you have teenagers, and you call them, and they don't respond because why? They don't want to, but that's beside the point. They have perfect hearing. They just don't want to call. But this call, this, this being called of God is a summons from Almighty God through the preaching of the gospel when people come in. God summons, we come in. Listen to a few verses. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. It says this. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. So called, it says, called to be saints, the summons from God. Verse 9, same word is used. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You were called. Chapter 1, verse 22. For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles. Christ is the power of God, and Christ is the wisdom of God. It's a summons from Almighty God, and he, called, he brings us in through the human proclamation of the word. So we take the gospel out. God works in hearts. 
Let me say this. I want you to get this. The more I listen and think, and this, particularly in this day and age, that people come to God through Christ in stages. Let me explain. And I'm using my life as an example. I became a believer at age 19. This is how it happened. I'm 19. I'm a freshman at the Citadel. I'm like a lot of 19-year-old guys. I haven't had a serious thought in 19 years. I'm just kind of existing. Okay, I'm just there. And had no thought of God. I mean, just, yeah, I went to church occasionally, but no thought. And then some friends invited me to a Bible study. I started going to a Bible study. And they'd read the Bible, and they would talk about it, and they'd do little fill-in-the-blank studies. And, and I thought, man, these guys really believe that there is a God. Wow. And, and I remember distinctly walking back one night after being there a couple of weeks, three weeks, and looking up into the sky and saying, wow, there is a God who made the heavens and the earth. Wow. I mean, so I went from not thinking serious thoughts to, at that point, being what I would call someone who is a theist. You believe there's a God. You see, you see the miracle of birth. We just dedicated these babies. You see the beautiful uh, creation. You see the change of seasons. You see the rotation. You see, you see all these things. You say, wow, there's a, great, there's a supreme being, as it will. But that doesn't save you. That, 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 that gets you here. But only the work of Christ saves you. So I kept going to Bible study. I kept going, listening. And they kept talking about Jesus. And so I'm going, yeah, they talk about Jesus all the time. And then I went to a study one night. Well, really, it was a chapel. And the guy stood up and he said, God is holy and pure and almighty and all loving and kind. And man is sinful. Or bro we'd say broken. Sinful or broken. And in his brokenness, man will... The wages of sin is death, and after that comes judgment. So, so there's, there's a separation there. And God, in the fullness of time, became a man, and on the cross, he made a bridge between sinful man and holy God. And at that point, I went, I get it. I get it. I understand the cross now. I understand that Jesus, on the cross, bore my sins and died in my place. And it's, so I went from a theist to someone who is trusting in the work of Jesus and the shed blood of the cross. That's the way it works. So when people are called, they have to have facts. And there's an invitation to come. And then there's a rejoicing in eternal life. And that, that, that's, that is the, the goodness of the gospel. And we, 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 we rejoice in that. And he says, a part of being called, he kind of qualifies it. He says, when you're called, you're beloved in God, and you are kept by Jesus. Kept means guarded, shielded, shepherded, watched over by or for Jesus. So the called out people, those of us who've come to faith, they, the summons has been given. We are, we are eternally loved by the Father, and we are kept by Jesus. We're guarded by him. We're shielded by him. We're shepherded by him. Which, when I think it means shepherded by Almighty God, whose name is Jesus, it gives me confidence and security and a lot of happiness. Because greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world, the Bible says. Jesus says, you're in the Father's hand. No one can snatch you from the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The, 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 the shepherding of Jesus gives me incredible confidence. Now, um, when I'm out and about and I see a policeman and maybe I walk into a, a, a 
a drugstore behind them or something, and, and these, these policemen have, they have, they're bulky, they have bulky tops because they're wearing bulletproof vest. And this can be in the middle of August again. It's just, just very hot. And I, I really, I breathe a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you that these men, women, are willing to go into harm's way to protect me and my wife and my kids and my grandkids. I, I have great confidence. I'll, I'll be going by the fire station down here. It'll be middle of the afternoon, 3 o'clock in an August afternoon. And the firemen are out there in their full regalia. I'm talking about the heavy coats. And they're doing drills on how to pull hoses out and how to carry people so that if they have to, they can go into a burning building and pull me out. And it gives me great confidence. I want to say, man, don't do it at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, good grief. So just, just an aside. So this past Thursday, we had this storm. And where we lived, we were without power for about five and a half hours, maybe six hours. And my wife had just gone out and bought a bunch of meat because my son's coming to town with his family. And so we have all this meat in the fridge, and we don't open the fridge. And my wife says, well, I'm afraid the meat's going to go bad. I said, I think we're okay. We'll wait. I look up on the Internet. Don't let your fridge be out for more than four hours. So I'm going, okay, I won't tell her, but it's been four and a half hours, I think. And then at five hours, she goes, man, it's, and at five, almost five and a half hours, she says, okay, I'm where I said, okay, you're right. So I go out and I pull the generator out, pull it up. It's pretty heavy. Oil, gas, mess with it. Crank, 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 it comes on. I pull the fridge out, squeeze in behind the fridge because there's a bar there that you have to barely get, unplug it, plug in the generator, and that's done. 40 seconds later, <laughs> the lights come on. I go, great. Well, at least we're ready to go. Anyway, so, so during all of that, I'm out walking around, and the, one of the fire chief comes by with his light on. His car just driving very slow, and he says, are you guys okay? And I said, yeah, we're fine. If you can turn the electricity on, we'll be perfect, but we're fine. I really thought, that's very kind. It gives me great confidence. I'm in, I'm in the locker room the other day getting dressed, and as I'm leaving, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a guy sitting there. He looked 18 years old to me, but he had a major thing on his Air Force officer major deal. So he couldn't have been 18. He had to be older than 18. It's amazing. The world, oh, do you get people just look younger and younger and younger? Some do. And so as I was going, I just said, thank you for your service to our country. He said, well, that's fine. Say thank you to people. But, but think of the confidence I have as an American, as a citizen. It's nothing. Listen, it's nothing compared to the confidence of the king of glory who says, I will keep you to the end. Part of the glory of our calling is we're kept by and for Jesus. And there's, 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 there's incredible confidence in that. People very kindly will say to me, how are you doing? Or how, how's your wife? How's your kids? And, I, and sometimes just have fun. I say, they're doing well, but it's only 11.52. There are a lot of hours left in this day for them to blow it or for me to blow it. But the truth is that when you're kept by Jesus, there's security in that. If I look at me or you, I'm not that confident. 
But look at him. I'm very confident. And I lay down at night, and sometimes it hits you, and you're going, oh, man. And then you start quoting Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord keeps the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In vain do you rise up early and go late to bed, eating the toil, eating your toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Sometimes I say, God, give me sweet sleep. Don't let me worry or fret. Give me sweet sleep. Kept. Brothers and sisters, you're kept by God, by King Jesus. Thirdly, this, he says, he says, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Be, be, mercy be, be multiplied to you uh, in church. I, multiplied, lavished. I'm so glad he didn't say added on to you, bolted on to you, multiplied to you. See, see. 12 plus 12 is 24, but 12 times 12 is 144. I much rather have the multiplication than just barely added on to. You see, when I follow Christ and I know him, then mercy, peace, and love are multiplied. Mercy is those who receive mercy extend mercy. Peace means the shalom of God whereby he restores things and he, and he puts things together. You know, you got mercy, you have that peace. And people who experience shalom walk in gospel equilibrium. Like how gospel equilibrium. You don't die on every hill. You are gracious and you're caring and you listen and you're attentive and you're not pugilistic. You're, you're a mild-mannered. That's what I believe the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Now, there, there are many times I get upset over the things I should never be upset about, and there are times when I should be very upset when I'm not upset. The Holy Spirit teaches you the difference. You have this gospel equilibrium that says the Lord is gracious and he's worked in our lives. That's why I love the quote by John Calvin, where he says, I, I call piety that reverence joined with love of God, which the knowledge of his benefits induces. Peace. Gospel equilibrium. It's difficult. We need the power of the Spirit. It's difficult to be a gospel equilibrium driver in this city sometimes. I was going up 17, north on 17, and I was going below the speed limit. Okay, if you're a policeman, you're here, you hear this. I was, so next time, give me a break. I was going below the speed limit. And as I was going down the road, it's coming to an intersection, the turn lane had that flashing yellow light. And, I, I, and this guy just pulled out right in front of me. And I had to hit my brakes. I didn't slide through the intersection because as I was going slower, I hit my brakes. I thought, who drives this way? And I looked as he went through and I saw the back says, Ohio. <laughs> Ohio. And I just thought, okay, all right. Gospel equilibrium, be kind, be kind. See, when, when Jesus is in your life, and, and, and this this. Mercy, grace, and love are multiplied. It gives you a gospel equilibrium. What's your identity? Servant of Jesus. Called. Peace, love, and mercy. Multiplied. I, I call... I call what I'm going to describe to you, the, the daily awakening routine. I'm going to say this next week, but I'll give you this now. One thing I think we should really discipline ourselves to do is before we go to the media or the news, we go here first. 
We go here first. We, we think God's thoughts after him. I, I want to be a glutton for usefulness and happiness. There's a man named David Murray. He's written a wonderful book called The Happy Christian. And he says that there are seven kinds of happiness. I'll mention a few. They, they can be enjoyed by all people everywhere in spite of their faith. He says there's the happiness of nature, observing nature, the beauty of nature. There's social happiness of relationship. There is vocational happiness. You enjoy your job. There's intellectual happiness uh, where you think well. There is physical happiness where you enjoy, you know, just the physical being and there's humor, happiness, but he says the greatest happiness of all that gives coloration to all the other things is the happiness that Jesus brings into your life. I want to be a happy person. And I, I think I'm that way if I, if I have a daily awakening routine when I get up and I say, Lord, teach me from your word. I'm going to read this. I'm going to think about this. And I am a servant of the living Christ. I am called to you by grace. And in that I am beloved of the Father, and I am kept by Jesus, and I am someone who's the recipient of mercy, peace, and love that are just multiplying my life. And, and because of that, I rejoice and I am glad. But what happens? Instead, we get up and we go straight to the news. And we read about this horrible situation in Florida where this building has collapsed, and every day there's no hope, no hope, no hope. It's a terrible thing. Or read about this, or read about that. And we should be aware of those things. Don't misunderstand me. But I need to, I need to get my, my fix on Jesus first. So my question is, who are you, child of God? You're a servant of Jesus. You're called unto him. And his mercy, peace, and love are multiplied in your life. So thankful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day you've given us, and um, it's, it's the Lord's day. It's a day to be refreshed, encouraged, strengthened. It's, it's a day to be glad. It's, it's a day to break our routine and think about you. And I just think, I pray today as we think and as we ponder that we would stop and say, I am, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. I am called unto God by a summons, and in that summons, I'm eternally loved by the Father, and I'm kept by Jesus Christ. And as we run to you, we would say, and in your kindness, this mercy and this peace and this love have been multiplied in my life. So help us to be that as we go forward. Help us to be that before we go anywhere else. Thank you for the goodness of the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, speak and act and work in us today. In Jesus' name, amen.